Into the Zeitgeist, the comedic research podcast, is funded by you. Thank you. If you want to learn how to support the show, go to patreon.com slash WDM1. Welcome to Into the Zeitgeist. My name is David Waters, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Shannon the I don't like you, but I love you, Boffman. <laughs> hey, Shannon, how's it going? Hey, David. That was the lyric from. Was it? Was it? I was trying song. to. I was trying to think of it. I was like, I don't know why she would have put something like that, but it, now it makes sense. <laughs> now it makes sense. I can't remember. It was from Smokey Robinson or one of the others, oh. but you know, Shannon. Yeah. Uh, for the audience, uh, Shannon and I, we have uh, we have like little like templates or whatever that we put in here, and we always try to like insert something a little like uh, relevant. I guess I would yeah. say um, we we have it at the end too. That I got to go do something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sometimes we don't tell each other beforehand. So I'm glad Shannon filled me in because I fig- I figured it was like a lyric or something. And uh turns out my intuition was correct as typical, as typical for me. <laughs> Love it. Well, Shannon, how have you been? I've been good. I mean, it's like World War Three out there, literally. <laughs> yeah, it looks, you know, with the weather how it is here in North or North Texas and South Texas, it looks like we just have like a tint of Ukraine filter, Ukraine filter outside. It just looks a little Eastern European, you know. I know. I almost wish that like we weren't involved so that it could be the Cold War two instead of like World War three because it's cold. It is. (laughs) How actually I was going to ask you, how was how was all that with y'all? Because didn't you shut down for school like your school shut down? Yeah, we were closed Wednesday through Friday. And I think Friday, the only reason we closed is because we usually close at 12. So um. I think like a lot of schools delayed until 10 and that would have just been silly for us to do. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So we, yeah, here at UTA, we didn't, we closed it at 10, 10 it was, or nice. excuse me, we we opened at 10 on Friday. So it's like, what is it? What even did I do that day? You know, <laughs> you don't open until 10 on Friday on well, because of the storm, we opened at 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like every Friday. I was like, what? Oh, no, that would be that would be awesome. Like that should be in the rule book. <laughs> yeah, for every day. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Like if I started at 10 every day, I think I would honestly go crazy because like I'd wake up and be like, ah, oh, like I'm in this perpetual state of like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm about to do something. And Exactly. Uh, I, I don't like that feeling. I don't know if you know the feeling I'm talking about. I do. I feel like I've been playing that game with uh, our podcast recording all week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. We have. This this weather has really like knocked it off because I was, I was so prepared to do it yesterday, but I was like, eh, my feet are a little cold, my, my toesies. I don't know. I just... Mm-hmm. 
See, the socks, the socks, of course, had to like <laughs> double layer it today. <laughs> Audio <laughs> listeners, you, you obviously didn't see that, but I just stuck my foot up in the camera. <laughs> but uh, for the uninitiated into the zeitgeist is our biweekly comedic research podcast where we explore touchstones mm-hmm. of the past and drag them back up to be talked about and shit like that. Uh, if you want to show your support for Into the Zeitgeist, consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. It's there that you can get episodes two days early. You can get a bonus monthly episode and also producer credits. So check that out. Also check out our social media, like, rate, review, you know, all that fun jazz. So uh, without further ado, Shannon, let's get into... Purging Our Sins, our opening segment. And it is your week, so I want to hear what what juicy uh, story you got for me. It's not juicy. I really couldn't think of, like, a sin that connects with today's topic, which today we're talking about um, Quiet Storm Radio, which is, like, a popular radio format. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could really think of is, like, every day, you know, I we both being in higher ed work with students, people who are younger than us, you know, they come in every day and they have their Spotify's and like, I don't know, their mixes on their phones. Like they don't even have mixed tapes. Mm-hmm. Like always got one and, earbud in. Yeah. I see yeah, it all the time. So maybe this, this is a sin, but like my mom pays for me to have serious satellite radio. In my oh my car. God. <laughs> awesome that is awesome i fucking love it like so basically i listen to serious satellite radio and i listen to podcasts and that's pretty much it and but what i like about serious radio is like it sort of brings in the old timey like you have djs and things like that but then you don't have commercials so is that the 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 jig with uh serious they just don't have commercials yeah, there's no commercials. Oh. There's hundreds of different stations. So I'm sure they have like a quiet storm format station. I didn't check, but like, um, when I was really, I mean, I guess I still am really into Nirvana. They have a really great, uh, grunge station I was listening to. Oh. Um, and every so often, like, they'll have a station that's dedicated to, like, just one band. So they've had, like, a Fleetwood Mac station, a Bruce Springsteen station. Nice. Um, they still have the Beatles station, which is really cool. I think, um, you know, Quiet Storm Radio, I think a lot of it really, as we explore, is um, very much, it makes me kind of think of, like, black twitter in a way like in that there's like this sort of cultural movement taking over social media with twitter i feel like they kind of do that with radio too um and sure there's a lot more to talk about with that in like i don't know the things that poke holes in it like advertising and things like that but um uh, I all that to say is I think the Beatles Sirius Satellite radio station is very much like the white counterpart to Quiet Storm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest, I do not like the Beatles whatsoever. Like really? Yeah, that's just so cliche. I it, maybe it's just because it's been around so long that I consider it cliche, but 
still like Beatles, like come on, I'd rather listen to like anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Um and you know, it's interesting that you you say it's like they've been around so long and it's all just kind of been heard over and over again, but I think it, a lot of that applies to the music we'll be talking about today, but just the um the radio, you know, it wasn't like unless you were prepared, you could just record a song and like listen to it over and over again. And in this era to kind of get our minds there, it was like about records and finding the record that you wanted to listen to from your favorite artist. And I don't know, you kind of had to do not just like preserving the art, but to, um, make it pervasive it was very much like the audience that was doing that not solely the artist so hmm. i don't know i think you could make a case where the beatles had a very kind of similar like "Ooh, we're different and like then they kind of gradually became cool mm-hmm. um but i don't know i don't know if there's so much culture tied to like the rise of the Beatles as there is to a rise of quiet storm. So hmm. I'm really excited to talk about it today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, you know, but I, I think that, you know, we, I personally came up on this topic after watching a Vox YouTube video Yeah, and very, very informative. We'll put it in the, the show notes or whatever. Uh, please, I suggest that you go watch it because it's very, very informative because you, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, you have like this smooth, sultry voice who's the DJ. That's like definitely one of the hallmarks of Quiet Storm. And I, I believe I don't have that sort of, of voice for radio. But I mean, sure, I can like train myself to do it. But I personally don't think I do. But um, yeah, after like, I don't know. After listening to it, you see it a lot in, like, pop culture, like, people not making fun of it, but, like, um, what do you call it? Like, help me find the word, Shannon. Um, like, like, showing parody? And the, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, like, you always see it in, like, movies where, because I think there's one Netflix show, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they don't show the face of the radio DJ, and it's just their mouth or whatever. Kind of reminds uh, me of, like, Rocky Horror a little bit, just for the lips. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. um, yeah, it's just that, you know, slow, natural, like, soothing voice. Like, somebody's about to, like, serenade me, or, <laughs> like, I don't know, somebody's gonna make some sweet love to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Which is funny, there's a great Anita Baker song that they consider Anita Baker as, like, one of the hallmarks of Quiet Storm, or at least Vox did, in their opinion. And she has a, she has a song called Sweet Love, and it, ah, oh, it's so good, so good. But what about you, Shannon? What do you what do you um, think of whenever you're reminiscing on this? Yeah. So, um, oh man, you just said a lot of things. Um, but I think, like, when I reminisce on it, I wasn't like super familiar 
with this radio format, I mean, I guess, like, kind of like you mentioned, when it comes to the voice, like, that sultry, suave um, voice that really carries, I think, the format. And I, once I heard that, and you kind of referenced that, I was like, oh, this is, like, those late-night drives with, you know, where where you're leaving a baseball game at, like, 11 o'clock at night, driving back to Pilot Point from Arlington or whatever, like, that station's on, you've got the sultry voice, you know it's, like, time to relax, and it's, like, either time to relax or make sweet loving, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think that's why the voice is so... Um, prominent prominent and notable is because that like you know you could potentially hear any number of these songs on like an oldies station or something like that but it's not quiet storm without that sultry voice um and then while i was also thinking about that um thinking about the music that was involved i was trying to think of like an artist today that still kind of encompasses that the mission of the genre to which I sort of took away as like relaxed we are you know kind of one with each other one with the earth and I don't mean that as like a natural kind of way but just you know with each other and Mm -hmm. the only band i could really think of i don't really know if you'd call them a band or group but have you ever heard of a tribe called quests i have heard of them and i think i know a few songs but it's like my periphery yeah so they're definitely more hip-hop i uh and so i don't know how well like they would fit into this but they have a song that's like a a really popular song of theirs it's called like can we kick it and the song's just like about having a chill day yes (laughs) it's just like we're having a chill day the vibe is chill and like thinking of that song kind of makes me think of that now that i say that just right off the top of my head what's that song that's like we're gonna have a good day Da, 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 you remember that song no no i don't because ain't nobody gotta die today <laughs> we're gonna have a good day yeah that's oh a good song oh too. you're talking about ice cube oh is that ice cube yeah i think that's ice cube uh okay gonna have a good day or <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that song is called off the top of my head. Um, but I get, I, I know the vibe that you're getting at from that song. Um, There's something that leaves you like, not necessarily happy, but just like pure and joyful and yeah. not depressed and like lonely or like you're missing something like in a way that some songs make you feel. Mm. I believe it's called It's a Good Day by Ice Cube. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's I, that's uh, that's a really good way to because a lot of people do know that song, and I think that that kind of pulls. There's a lot more like entwined with like '90s hip hop and Quiet Storm, like right, like R and B soul music. Yes. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think that song in particular does give off the feelings of that, you know r&b soul music like just keeping it chill not we're not raising our voices we're not it's like you're clear in your 
your words, but they flow smoothly and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. And not intentionally like pushing buttons, I feel like. And I think when that did or does happen, and we'll talk about this more as we actually get into the research, but, and, uh, so in the midst of the civil rights movement, um, there were a lot more politically based songs that were played. Um, even like we didn't really quite have the quiet radio format, but, um, the genre of music that would be played on this station, um, uh, it, it wasn't, or sorry, let me back up. It was still very political during that time. And it didn't really, um, start to taper off until, um, we get more into quiet storm in the mid seventies and eighties. Right. Right. Yeah. It, Cause it started off in like the seventies, just like very top level. It started off in the seventies, but continued on until nineties and even till today. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Good way to put um, it. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention or anything before we really dig in? You know, I was trying to think of artists or songs that reminded me of, you know, Quiet Storm or ways that I could describe it or, you know, that mass media or whatever. Just And it's kind of hard for me to even pin down exactly because... In my opinion, I think the host, the DJ, is the most important part. And the the songs, yeah, we have a connection with them, but it was that it was that voice, you know, that oh, we're gonna lay down some funky jams and you know, blah 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 or whatever. So, I, if I if it comes to mind throughout the podcast, that I think I might I might interrupt and be like, hey, I I remember, you know, it's it's making me think of like capital cities and uh, you know uh, what Mumford and Sons I think is another one like the, uh, some so, of some of their music not all but <laughs> just that didn't we you watch Steven Universe right so Estelle is the voice of Garnet and I yes. think there's quite a few Estelle slash even Garnet songs that mm-hmm. kind of like go into this sort of musical genre and but you're right though it is the voice but it's not just the voice it's the voice the voice's ability to curate music and to like blend the voice and the music all together so cohesively mm-hmm. and um one of the most notable uh quiet storm radio djs his name is melvin Lindsay, and we'll talk more about him but um, just throughout everything I read repeatedly, just his ability to curate um, the music, intertwine his voice, and just what the end result was, was just so magical to so many people. And um, that's really special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have to agree. I think it, like you said, it, it definitely, it's a combination of the two and they make I don't know. They, I'm thinking of like songs and what's the real meaning behind the song or let's actually listen to the lyrics and like reflect back on what the song was trying to say. Yeah, they do it in the relaxing tone and like, like we're winding down at the end of the day type of stuff. And it really makes you reflective on, you know, be it your day or 
it's a country's day, you know. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, what you just said, it's not again not really in the genre because it's more reggae. But um, Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier, that song. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Yeah, and it's so much deeper, like, when you read the lyrics and read, like, what a Buffalo Soldier is, and, like, you can kind of tell, um, there's more subtext to these songs than they, than on first impression, I think, and I think that was very much purposeful in sort of spreading a message getting a message across being allowed to have a message on the radio and then um i didn't read this but um you know even way back when when there was like slavery there would be these songs you know and they were messages or symbols and i think we very much just continually see that carry over in a way to where there are messages that are for a particular culture and we may not get them, but they're also not meant to for us. So if we still like the music, I think at the end of the day, you know, both things matter, but what you're taking away from it, um, it's important regardless. So right. might, might not give us the same message or whatever you exactly know, to different audiences, but you know, I think part of the reason why we wanted to do uh, this episode was uh, it is currently uh, Black History Month. And yeah. um, I feel, at least from the Vox video that they were saying, it it really is geared towards the black community and, um, you know, the, I don't know, the struggles that they were going through in the 1970s, especially um, with civil rights, you know, and all that fun stuff. So... Yeah, I think, uh, Shannon, with that, I think we can move into the research, yeah? Yeah, um, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit because I want to explain. So Quiet Storm is a radio format and genre of contemporary R&B performed in a smooth, romantic, jazz-influenced style. And it was named after the title song on Smokey Robinson's 1975 album, A Quiet Storm. Um, and just the tone and, um, you know, overall atmosphere of Quiet Storm was relaxed and sensuous. Sensuous. I can't say words. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, and so that's what um, Quiet Storm was. As to how it got started, um, it really did start with this man, Melvin Lindsay, who worked um Well, he got a job at Howard University's radio station, which is W-H-U-R. And from my understanding, it still is. Um, In Howard University, um, let's see. Howard University's history and legacy is integral to the radio station's values and identity. Um, Its place as a leading historically black university informs WHUR status as a black media powerhouse in Washington. So um, I read this article from a really great writer named Nora Bess. Um, The uh, I'm not, uh, I don't want to assign pronouns to people without knowing them. I don't want to be in the business of that. So 
I may talk really weird for the next couple of sentences. It's just because I'm avoiding pronouns. Um, but Bess's thesis was called um, Tuning Into the Chocolate City, Examining the Black Radio Landscape of Washington, D.C. Um, and it's a really great uh, thesis. Um, it's I, I don't, I think it might have been an undergrad thesis. It's not super long, but it is so well written so well put together and linked in the show notes. I actually reached out to the author because um, basically Howard University, they have WHUR. And I found over and over again that in sometime around 1976, there was some day where the DJs at Howard University went on strike I could not figure out like what they were on strike for. And I believe it's the quiet storm website, like specifically says the word strike. Like it doesn't say protest. It doesn't say like, I don't know. I feel like there's other words you can use if you're like, like, cause I was thinking like, okay, Vietnam was going on. Maybe they were against that, but that still doesn't make sense to use the word strike. And so I reached out to the author of this thesis to see if they were able to find that answer, but they weren't. Um, but they sent me to the radio station, um, WHUR, and they were like, the radio station's pretty responsive, like you might try reaching out to them. And so I did, and I haven't heard back yet. So that's my conspiracy corner. We'll circle back to that, but I'm very suspicious of this so-called strike. Um, mm. And again, that's just because like um, Howard University it is um, an HBCU, HBUC, historically black college and university. And um, so that would imply to me that um, at, at least one or multiple of the DJs on the radio station would also be black. So I'm like, what are they going on strike for that Melvin Lindsay was willing to still be on the radio for? Does that make sense? What right, I'm right. Not understanding about the situation. I think we're what we're trying to do is um, give context and how Melvin Lindsay eventually came on air and kind of it sparked this. Yeah. Like he was the igniter of this whole thing. I'd I'd say and yeah, uh, but we're the trying to give context into why why there was the staffing shortage um that allowed yes. Lindsay to get on air so right yes so i don't know the circumstances <clears throat> that led up to that that's my conspiracy i felt like something was going on there i i don't know what um but i'm hoping to find that answer and as soon as i do i will update everyone yeah um so let's go back to a little bit more um, talking about Howard. So throughout its history, Howard University has been both central and removed from black life in Washington, D.C. Um, and it was chartered in 1867. Howard was a part of a wave of historically black colleges and universities founded in the aftermath of the Civil War to provide higher education to African Americans. Its nickname the hilltop refers to Howard's location on a sloping 256 acres overlooking the city's U Street and Shaw neighborhoods. 
Along with well-paying federal jobs, Howard University was essential in establishing Washington's Black middle class. Nora Bess, in her article, notes Howard also served as a center of Black intellectual thought, attracting the likes of Thurgood Marshall, Zora Neale Hurston, and Toni Morrison as students. Um, and this was at a time when most colleges and universities were segregated. Howard University represented Black excellence and Black exceptionalism. Um, and the reason I go into so much detail there is because radio as um, a medium, as a media, I guess, um, it is so um, central to where you live, especially if you're aren't listening to Sirius Satellite Radio, <laughs> like myself. Right. Uh, You're so you cultured, to... Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yikes. Um, you have to be in a certain area. So that's just kind of why I bring up a little bit of the area that's around Howard. Um, you know, this and the, the idea of this rise in black middle class is interesting, especially now as there seems to be no middle class. So I'm like, can we bring that back? Right. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I just, I thought that was really interesting. I think um, it's fascinating how this got started at a university. Um, and yeah, what were, oh, and not just any university, a university where all of these prominent figures were attending. What do you think about that? I don't know. Um, I think it was, it's a right mix between everything. Um, I think that it was a nice melting pot. Like you had all the ingredients that kind of, I don't know, we were talking about Melvin Lindsay and his, his opportunity to get on radio and it's making me think of like right place, right time. Um, sort yeah. of thing, because like if that that strike or whatever we would want to refer to it as didn't wasn't going on, or it wasn't specifically at Howard University, like it could possibly mean that we would have never experienced Quiet Storm as it is today. Um, so yeah, so I think that they do mention in the Vox video that there were um a couple of a couple of other stations that. We, uh, what am I trying to say that started to get going around the same time, um, as Melvin Lindsay's Quiet Storm format took off? Mm -hmm. Um, but just repeatedly, anything you read, um, just attributes the success and the brilliance of the format to Lindsay. And so I think for me, um, just based on the information that was out there and the prominence that um, so many researchers give him, um, that was one of the main reasons I decided to focus on him and WHUR, which is Howard's um, radio station. Um, and so I did want to talk a little bit about the background on the station mm -hmm. itself. Um, it was commercial radio station and not like the um, student student run one. Is that right? Correct. But so I think that there were I'm not sure if it was based on times of the day or how exactly it worked. But so what I found said 
WHUR-FM 96.3 is a 24-hour, 16,500-watt HD radio station located in Washington, D.C., and it has been owned by Howard University since its inception. WHUR has a competitive signal that reaches north of Baltimore, Maryland, to the outskirts of Richmond, Virginia. Um, As one of the few university-owned commercial radio stations in America, WHUR serves both Washington's business and public communities. Okay, that's what it is. It's simultaneously commercial and um, publicly owned, university-owned. Very nice, very nice. I like that. that. That's a nice combo. It gives people, I'm sure whenever like Melvin Lindsay or interns in general, like we're able to do that. They got some nice experience doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Lindsay, we're going to talk a lot about him here in a little bit, but he, yeah, that he really changed the game, so to speak. Um, a little bit more about the station itself. Um, It is Washington's only standalone radio station, Washington, D.C.'s only standalone radio station and one of the few university-owned commercial radio stations in America, and it's been broadcasting since 1971 to nearly half a million listeners daily, um, and that's over five states, um, and it can now be heard around the globe on WHUR, uh, WHUR, WHUR, dot com. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Um, yeah, so it was the first radio station in the Washington, D.C. area to be broadcast in HD. The radio stations won numerous awards, including um, the prestigious NAB Marconi for Best Urban Station of the Year and NAB Crystal Radio Award for Excellence in Community Service. And um, so, yeah. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that, I didn't realize that it spread so far, like five states, like wide, like, or connected to five different states, excuse me. So I feel like that's a, it's not dramatic, but like we live in Texas, which is a huge state. So you have to keep in mind, like Maryland's very small, Virginia's very, it's, smaller and then like all those states around um washington dc and maryland are super small you know what's funny this is like connection to my daily life like uh, since i've moved down here to the san antonio area i've had to change my radio stations on in my car yeah (laughs) like my npr station is not 90.1 anymore (laughs) and i'm really upset about it so i'm gonna have to do some digging and figure out where that one went (laughs) oh is that the only one you haven't been able to find yes yes i mean you have your your country radios and your your top 40 uh stations or whatever but I've still yet to find my NPR, and I love my NPR National Aww. Public Radio. Can't can't get enough of it. So good. I wonder how many of our listeners listen to NPR. Dang Share it. with us, right? I would love to <laughs> meet another NPR fanatic like myself. <laughs> a lot of Ukraine um, stuff. A lot of Ukraine Ukraine stuff uh, as a player. Ukraine. Ukraine. <laughs> Hey, look at look at us! Look at us! Just mush it all together. I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's funny to think about that. 
It is. Um, good for them. Well, no, stretch it's, it. it's not funny. Um, but it's good to exercise your brain. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're very informative, and I can't, I can't stress that enough. So anyway, I'm gonna stop like, just <laughs> preaching the praises of of uh, NPR, but <laughs> and let, let you continue. But uh. yeah, so uh, I just want to reference uh, Nora Bess's thesis um, once more because um, they make it clear that Howard's um, centralization during the civil rights movement um, is super important to all of this because um, the station sort of became an epicenter of revolution. Um, You had the 1968 race riots, which burned a few blocks from Howard's campus. Um, Bess also notes uh, students seized academic buildings in protests of what they deemed a Eurocentric curriculum and an administration that was removed from the needs of its black students. So, oh, sorry, I said that a little odd, but they were protesting the idea that the curriculum was so Eurocentric, and they were also frustrated that the administration itself um, wasn't keeping up with the needs of its black students. Um, so the students demanded the creation of an African-American studies department, and they demanded the appointment of a black university president, and they also demanded more engagement with the black working class neighborhood of the campus. And so even before the creation of the radio station, Howard's student media was a valuable channel for students to express their political and social views. Um, I think what's important to consider here, too, is just how um, I feel, and I could be wrong about this, but it seems to me that in the 60s and 70s, uh, colleges and universities were only um, gaining more recognition and accreditation in the sense that, like, if a young person were to go to a prestigious college and they wanted to make a statement or make a change, and and they gathered the right people to do that, they were going to be heard because um, people were listening to uh, what students were learning and, and sharing and the movements and moments that they were starting were so important to so many people that I think just sort of the added support of being at a university just ignited it even further, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think maybe it's because we are so far removed from the 1960s and 70s that um, I guess going to college or getting a degree might have meant more um, in some sort of way rather than how it is today where it's like, Oh, second high school, you know? Right, right. Like, I feel like um, these were, like, elites who were in university, you know, like, very rigorous, academic-focused people. And so it was, like, their their studies and their, um, uh, you know, just their pushes for change. And I don't know. I think they were just emphasized even further by the fact that they 
were at university, which is right. which is odd because I think a lot of times, especially today, it's like you're not heard until you're, you know, 40 and you've had all the experience and all the wisdom and all the age. It's like, I, it seems like now when you're in university, it's like you're just beginning. Whereas mm. in the 60s, 70s, and I think even a little bit of the 80s, it was like, oh, you've made it to university. Like, this is, legit, you know, yeah. a pinnacle of success. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Because these, I think of like, especially back then they had more more moral crossroads that right were present and we they could you know have more of a voice in it compared to today when it's just like we have a preacher on a soapbox um trying to like chastise us because we're bad human beings or whatever the hell right right um so another point that gets brought up um throughout research on quiet storm a lot um and Bess also explains this is that in 1970 about 25 percent of the black population in the washington metropolitan area lived in the suburbs with that figure almost doubling to 47 percent by 1980 and reaching 83 percent by 2000 so not only do you have like an essentially untapped market of people, the market's, you know, exponentially growing. And so that's sort of the thing here with commercial radio, even though it is university owned, they are still, you know, at the mercy of advertisements as far as getting more funding. And so showing how you are able to get into this market, that's been um, historically, untapped historically ignored um was really significant during this time and it sucks that like you have to you know prove a point about something by how it's going to sell but at the same time it's like i don't know to me it's like shouldn't shouldn't black people have the opportunity to hear about the products white people are hearing about on the radio like I know none of us want to hear any of it, and we just want to listen to the songs. But right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see because that's just that's a product of of economics. I think um, exactly, not, not necessarily like a and like another slant on it or whatever. But huh, yeah, it's interesting to think about right. like that the growing middle class, black middle class. Um, and that being an untapped market, especially there in the Washington area. So yeah, Washington, like Washington, DC, um, not Washington state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, so let's see. Beth and many other scholars agree that in addition to appealing to black intellectuals through news programming and jazz music, WHUR has been prominently credited with pioneering the popular Quiet Storm radio format. Um, so they give it to the radio station, um, but we'll talk more about that um, during this time. So this is the mid to late 70s, uh, around 1975. 
During this time, Black radio was growing into a powerful form of communication. And I will say before digging back or, or digging into this topic, like thinking of radio as a way to get messages across um, wasn't really something I'd thought about in a while, but I suppose that's important. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because, like, I'm thinking of, like, the radio stations that I listen to on the rig. Um, Bo and Jim in the morning. I don't know if anybody knows about that there in North Texas, but, like, he just spouts off, like, conspiratorial shit. And, <laughs> like, he's always, <laughs> like, bashing people who call in on the radio. And I don't necessarily think of that <laughs> as, like, community service, you know? Uh, but nonetheless. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit, like, put somebody down, like, who really needs it. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny you say that, because now, um, the stations, a lot of the stations I listen to, um, lately have been, like, pop music, so it's all just, like, celebrity gossip, so it's, like, goodness, I would... You know, not have known that Britney Spears was under a conservatorship if it had not been for the radio. <laughs> but I mean, gen generally, like, I, I might not have known to Google that unless I heard, like, a radio person talking about it or something. I believe I was also on um, the radio one day I was listening to it, and they mentioned that Tim McGraw is, like, a really great Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor for, oh. like, other celebrities. Oh, So, I don't know. I live, I live for stuff like that. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because, like, man, now that I'm thinking about it, whoa. Because, like, the things I'm saying are very much, like, radios being used as PR cleanups or PR exposure. Like, right. it's very, like, about fame in a weird way that you kind of don't even think about the radio with. Like, you don't say that DJs are famous to an extent. Like, maybe Paris Hilton. But other than that, I don't think I could tell you, like a DJ other than once in our town, you know, right. Shout out lofty, but <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's... Yeah. They're like C list celebrities rather than like, or maybe even D list <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> uh, like, no, well, okay. There's one, uh, who's the one who passed away recently? Um, Kid Craddock. Oh, he died? I think so. No, okay. No, I'm thinking of somebody else. Kid Craddock didn't die. It was That's so what? sad. I know, I know. Oh my god. Look at look at this. We're spreading <laughs> spreading info. <laughs> um I'm doing my community a service. <laughs> yeah. No, but um yeah, Kid, other than Kid Craddock, I don't I don't because he's he was from Motley Crue. Um that's the only like I don't know. Not Kid Craddock was from Motley Crue? Yeah, did you not know that? Wait, was he on the... Okay. I think he was the drummer. No, Here's that's... a follow-up in part two. I'm not 100% sure. Like, so... Wayne Kid Craddock, because when you would listen to Kid Craddock in the morning... Mm -hmm. So, like, can we only hear that in Texas? Yeah. Or can people... Well, I mean... Internet radio is a hell of a thing. Anybody okay. can listen to it. But, but like, as like, a station in As your a car, station, that's... yeah, only in, like, North Texas area. 
And Kate Craddock from Motley Crue chose this radio station in North Texas to live out his days? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Is this true? I think he's not the guitarist because that, that was the other guy who... Pam and Tommy, I was. I thought you were about to give us a check in on how, how, if you finished it or not. <laughs> oh, I did watch the next episode. It's not over yet. Are you sure that Kid Craddock was in Motley Crew? He's in some famous band, and I'm pretty sure it's Motley Crew. I'm sorry. I'm like looking this up because fact check time. He did die. He died oh, did he? Oh no! Oh no! He's dead. See. Who is that guy I've been hearing? Then they replaced him with someone who sounds just like him. I know. Kid Craddock in the morning. Yeah, Kid Nation. Kid Craddock morning show. Oh, I didn't realize that's how you spelled Craddock. Really? I spelled it right. I'm really proud of myself, but I spelled Kid wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, nonetheless. He's famous. Anyways, yeah, this show isn't about him. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe another day. I am kind of like, that's weird that he said. Um, but yeah, so I do think that um, it's just interesting to think about the different messages different stations are getting across. So, you know, that's a really interesting way to look at this, too. So... Because I brought up Black Twitter earlier. You can almost think of the radio as, like, a bunch of different genres of Twitter, I feel like. Like, you have celebrity entertainment Twitter. You have news Twitter. You have Black Twitter. You have white people Twitter. Like, and then there's all these radios. Yeah, there you go. And then there's all these radio stations that align with them. So, it's definitely... um, you know, it's still just so powerful. You know, this, these researchers point to black radio as a growing into a powerful form of communication. But I mean, I think as long as radio remains, it has the potential to only become more powerful. And perhaps that's why, um, you know, there's sort of a push away from it. They don't want people to start getting ideas, (laughs) but, um, yeah. Most stations during like the 1970s were owned by white people, um, but WHUR um, was uh, an exception. It was owned. Um, it was taken over by this black woman, I believe, named Kathy Hughes, and the Maverick daughter of a famous jazz musician, mother, and conservative middle class certified public accountant's father. Um, Kathy Hughes took the reins of WHUR with little experience, but plenty of guts. Responsibility and challenges were not new to her. At 14, she lied about her age and got a job as a telephone operator working 40 hours a week after school with the Omaha, Nebraska Telephone Company. Wolf. I know. That's a lot of hours to work for a kid. Oh my gosh. What? Uh. And then... At 17, she married, had a child, then divorced, and then took on the responsibilities of parenthood alone. And then in the the late 1950s, she placed herself at the forefront of the Omaha civil rights activities and was thrown in jail. 
So she was a full-time worker by 14, had a child by 17, got divorced and was raising the child on her own, and was still, like, active in the civil rights movement. So incredible. Um, Hughes was an acolyte of the movement toward increasingly market-tested niche programming. So this is kind of... um, where we start to bring in those untapped markets. So um, Hughes was specifically studying a trend called psychographics, um, different from demographics, which focus on data like age, race, and address. Psychographics aim to quantify otherwise intangible qualities like attitudes and values. Hughes decided that her upwardly mobile single black female friends were an untargeted market and a radio format appealing to them would set WHUR apart from its competition. Um, which is fascinating. Did you know about psychographics? No, not at all. But when you were, when you're talking about it, it makes me think of the country radio stations that we hear in Texas. Like, yep. they, they, the attitudes and values of, you know, country folk is uh, in quotations. I'm going to put. Um, it's interesting to think about, <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, you need to. I I'm thinking of just this one. It's not even one specifically, but I heard it on the radio the other day of like, oh, we need to pray. We need to pray for for such and such and uh, like and this was on a country radio station i'm like of course like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna, on a radio station you're gonna tell me to pray <laughs> uh, <laughs> like uh, sir we do not all go to church here <laughs> but it just it had me thinking of that same and i don't know if that's pervasive throughout the you know radio like the media yes. of radio or whatnot but it's I funny think, to think I... of the correlation between the two I think it is. I think you bring up an excellent point. If you are ever in Texas and you ask someone about country music, if they like country music, they're going to be like, I like Texas country. And you're like, what the the fuck is Texas country? How's it different than Tennessee country? And like, I mean, I feel like it does come down to like the values, but I don't know. I think when well, because you, there's sure there's Texas values, right? Like um, Lone Star State, we are number one. Texas is the best. We love Texas. I don't even know what else to say about Texas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wow, yeah, because and then you make me think of outlaw country, like like how Dixie Chicks were yes! considered, and it's funny to think of like brilliant. Let's break the rules and and stuff like that. And, uh, not necessarily that they were like, oh, let's go pray for these fools or you know, whatever the right. hell. But uh, right. it is funny to think about the different genres and how that correlates to the radio and the values yes. that they, the hosts, the DJs themselves have or just the companies that run them. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the Dixie Chicks because we didn't go into that a whole lot in the Dixie Chicks episode, but there were radio stations that would stop playing um what was that song like um not ready to make nice like yeah. they wouldn't play it because oh the dixie chicks are anti-american or whatever like yeah it's a bunch of garbage 
But it's interesting how there is this format that I feel like is trying to somehow be inclusive while simultaneously simultaneously exclusive because it's like this is being designed for this group of people if you like it great but if you don't maybe you're just not a part of this group but it's like when something's cool you want to be a part of it whether you like it or not sometimes so it's i don't know it's a tricky thing to navigate Um, so yeah, uh, I just thought that that idea of psychographics was really interesting. I'd be really interested in seeing more studies where those sorts of things are analyzed. Um, but to kind of jump back, so we're, we're going to move into, um, talking about Melvin Lindsay, the man of the hour. Um, so one Sunday night in May, 1976, And he used his idea to have, like, a station that was targeting um, her single black female friends, um, black Americans. And he used his idea would accidentally come to fruition. Um, The radio station needed a last-minute substitute DJ for the evening. As David and I mentioned earlier, this uh, substitute was needed because the DJs were on strike. We don't know why. If you know why, please tell me. Um, so the DJs are in strike. Melvin Lindsay, a Howard journalism student and WHUR intern, not to mention Hughes' babysitter, <laughs> um, uh, gets the, gets this last, last minute substitute gig. Um, Lindsay grabs some, um, Isley Brothers, Delphonics, and Spinners LPs from his family's collection and hurried to the studio. Somehow, despite Lindsay's complete lack of experience behind the mic, it just clicked. Lindsay's silky, youthful voice was an appealing shift from many of the more forceful black DJs of the day, and his smooth and soul song of selections coupled with the Sunday evening slot to create something bigger than he or Hughes could have even imagined. The lines were flooded with calls. There must have been some kind of natural knack, uh, Hughes recalls saying. The next morning, Hughes came up with a perfect name for Lindsay in his show, The Quiet Storm. Lindsay left the station to finish his bachelor's degree, but upon returning in November 1977, The Quiet Storm quickly became a WHUR weeknight staple. And Lindsay became a local celebrity. Wow. Wow. Smokey Robinson. Good for him. I know. It's, have you have you heard that Smokey Robinson song, like A Quiet Storm? I did listen to that in preparation. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. It's very um Ah oh man, there's just something <sighs> visceral about a lot of this music where it just if you close your eyes you don't have to be sitting in your living room anymore you can be wherever you want to be kind of a thing you know right right i'm thinking of like um what do they call it oh uh jazz uh Slam poetry. Like, I think yes. about slam poetry, like that type of vibe. I love that. Yes. Yeah. I but, love that. Yeah. 
medium to low tempo like somebody's always like in the back like banging on the drums or whatever uh, i i don't know i don't know i i don't have much much but um yeah i think it's it, it's i didn't realize that he had he was um he had come back like he he took a break and then came back and that's when it exploded so yeah that's and then i don't know if i actually talk about this I might, but he actually went to another radio station for a little while and Hughes like just did whatever she could to get him back. <laughs> and I think he did eventually come back. Um, but the Quiet Storm format, it was simple and effective. Um, it wasn't too different in structure from what album oriented rock stations have been doing for years. Um, and I think by that they mean where it's like one song just kind of smoothly transitions into another. But with rock music, it's just kind of like a staple of rock music. You're going to know when a rock, when a rock song ends and when a new one starts. Whereas with, um, the Quiet Storm format, um, songs would just flow so evenly in and out of each other that sometimes it would take you a second to realize it was a new song that was starting and that was just all a part of um Lindsay's magic hmm. interesting um let's see so during his evening shift Lindsay would play long stretches of uninterrupted low to medium to low temples Wow, let me try that whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> During his evening shift, Lindsay would play long stretches of uninterrupted, medium to low tempo, soul and R&B music. At times for up to 40 minutes straight, only occasionally intervening to guide listeners along. Um, in a very real way, Lindsay's Quiet Storm was doing exactly what radio does best. Since its early days, radio brought, has brought far and away voices of musicians and on-air personalities into private homes, creating a sense of intimate community amongst listeners. Uh, and something I think to note here, too, is um, a little bit ago, I mentioned, like, he was ringing LPs from his family's collection. Like, um, I don't think I included it in here earlier, but... Um, Lindsay was like one of the few people who kind of had this sort of powerful free reign with um, the radio station and his format uh, with Quiet Storm um, because it is still like a commercial radio, even though it's also university owned, it's still under FCC guidelines. Um, and a lot of um, radio station owners won't just let their DJs like, play whatever music or say whatever they want or do whatever they want because of FCC regulations. So I just, I thought it was really fascinating that not only um, was Lindsay sort of learning how to operate and navigate this space that was uniquely his, he was one of the only ones doing that. Hmm. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, you know, it it's interesting that free reign. It's just reminding me of what we're doing here, and we we basically have free reign of what we're we're able to do. Um, and I think that creates something special. Um, yeah. And knowing that he brought records from his own home, that makes it even more homey um, in yeah. a sense. Because um, I, you know, you can 
everybody there's individualism of course but a lot of us lead the same lives we listen to the same music and it's funny how we can connect on certain levels like that like lps in the home or whatever um you know like i myself i'm like i love like heavy metal that's just how i was like raised or whatever but knowing that there's some other heavy metal fan out there who doesn't take it as serious like i don't have the like long beard i don't have the long hair to where i can like rock out or whatever but thinking that somebody else who's kind of similar to me knowing if they made a radio station just for that heavy metal ask like i would just be all into it and be like oh my god this is so homey <laughs> like uh, i i'm really connecting with this so it's it's funny to think that he did the same thing yeah, I love that you say that because um your connection like like with metal it's funny because I was thinking like I I think part of Melvin Lindsay's unique quality was that he was able to stream this music together. But you and I are very much of an age group where like we were creating our own mixtapes and doing this ourselves. Yeah. But I think <laughs> you can see, you can listen to 13-year-old Shannon's summer mixtape and then compare that with Quiet Storm, and you'll see why <laughs> Lindsay was so revered and how it is such a skill to put music together, different songs together. Oh, man. It, the, you just made me crack up in the background just now because like, I'm thinking of like... Uh, all American rejects, like dirty little secret playing, and yes! then, like I don't know, like just my horrible skills. It's like with... Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> we're telling because we were we were in that area when LimeWire was like the you know pinnacle or whatever, and we we're making our own mixtapes and and CDs and burning it onto a CD and. <laughs> I wouldn't even I wouldn't even like I wouldn't even like put the songs in order on the top or whatever. I would just uh, Oh, I was like it was like Shannon's like you. Oh no, no, no. He's fine. I love him so much. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny to think that we were doing this in a very like childish form <laughs> whenever we were younger. Um exactly. yeah, that's a that's a great comparison, like Dirty Little Secret and then Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. <laughs> that's a hell of a combo. <laughs> I definitely have that somewhere. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Um so yeah, I mean, I think alternatively, it really does take skill to create this like energy of relaxation and, you know, calm sensuousness. Like, um, there, I think it, it wasn't Kathy Hughes, but I watched an interview with someone who maybe works at WHUR now and they were like, Oh yeah, it was definitely baby making music. Like babies were made during the quiet storm hours. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. just thought that was hilarious. It's funny because they mentioned in the Vox video, like it's it's not necessarily named a certain thing on Spotify or whatever now, but it's like nineties baby making music. <laughs> like, there's a certain playlist out there oh, <laughs> for that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's funny. <sighs> 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, um, Melvin, Melvin Lindsay really just embodied what this meant. Um, he embodied the Smokey Robinson lyrics, soft and warm, a quiet storm. A New York tar, um, a New York Times article from 1987 explored the quiet storm format and found Although few studies exist, people in the industry say the Quiet Storm format has spread to as many as 40% of the nation's 218 urban contemporary radio stations. And it is in the top 170, 175 markets. I'm not really sure what that means, but there's that fact. Um and this is among stations whose rhythm and blues influenced programming is aimed at teenagers and young adults. So the ratings have gotten higher as um, contemporary music has um, begun to kind of fill in some of the gaps, but also take on some of the qualities of what Quiet Storm left behind. Hmm. Yeah, aiming towards the younger crowd was probably the best best decision. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think to a, after a certain point, that's all you really can do. Um, but again, it's like how many young people are really going to be listening to the radio, and I wonder how much longer it's even really going to survive, you know? Right, right. Um, the New York Times article uh, that I mentioned, it goes on to say that people in the industry say that Quiet Storm programs generally attract listeners between the ages of 25 and 49 with incomes of at least $30,000, which was interesting. I guess that's what kind of puts you at being almost middle class, I guess. I'm not really sure either why that distinction comes in. Like, I don't know if maybe hip hop just is more attractive to people who are, um, lower class or if there's just another genre that they identify with better. I also imagine if you're lower class, you're probably not thinking as much about making babies. So maybe there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a funny data point. (laughs) The $30,000. Yeah. And maybe since, eh, I was like, I was about to bring up the like comparison between like nineties hip hop and then this quiet storm. Like it makes sense that like around 25 that like people were like, okay, let's, we're not, we're not going to listen to NWA. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to listen to more, uh, like lean back, like cool music or cool as in like the vibe, cool vibes, um, music rather than, you know, the, in your face type of music that maybe MWA and similar artists put out there. I also wonder, I, now that you say that too, I also wonder if it was like performative too. So I'm thinking in the seventies and eighties, I'm not really sure where cars were as far as like AC and uh, heat. Like I'm just imagining if you live in like, Maryland or near DC, like it's probably pretty nice there. So you're driving around with your windows rolled down. You're trying to express yourself as like an upper middle class person. You're probably not gonna blast like, I don't know, music that has like derogatory language in it. (laughs) So part of me wonders if it's a little performative, if people actually really did enjoy it, but 
the other side of that is, is this music came on late at night. Like it's, you know, it's, it's seems very intentional with that. And so I, I don't know. I just don't know what's, what's to that. I can't pinpoint something there. Right. Very nuanced, very nuanced. So I get that. Yeah. Um, in the decades after desegregation and the most publicly visible work of the civil rights movement, um, a black middle class took shape. The black suburban population doubled between 1970 and 1986, and the number of black students attending college increased 500 percent between 1960 and 1977. While the Reagan administration ensured a glass ceiling loomed overhead, a long-deferred entry into the post-World War II um, American dream felt at least partially realized for many of these families, and Black-owned businesses flourished in many sectors. Um, it's unclear whether Howard University's adult contemporary radio station was included in the sole radio category. But the station was coming into its own in the early 70s as a unique voice for the strong middle class around Washington, D.C. Um, in that area. Um, I think I've already kind of talked about how far it's reached. But, oh, um, something I noted was that the programming style is reflective of how far the signal reaches. So there was a sort of attempt to be inclusive as far as thinking of um, people in other areas. So I'm not really sure what all that entailed, whether it was, um, you know, informing of events, news related things, or um, if it, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> I had a thought or if it was like, um, you know, uh, a way to sort of, reach out between classes. I don't really think that was the case. I see it more as like they were being inclusive with like their literal programming and news. Mm -hmm. I see. Like maybe the attitudes and values that like we were talking about earlier, like right. Inclusive to that specifically. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, so, Melvin Lindsay's uh, Quiet Storm radio format featured hours of uninterrupted slow jams and R&B hits catering to an urban adult audience. Over time, the original Quiet Storm became the station's hallmark, eventually jumping to the number one program in its time slot. Um, Lindsay curated an imaginative mix of unadul unadulterated soul music from the masters of R&B. Melvin's playlists were copied by countless radio stations, but the true sound of the quiet storm can never be duplicated. So that's just kind of something I've said a lot throughout this, but it was just something that came up over and over. Um, and I think to get to my next point, so quiet storm programming provided a stark contrast to the disco funk and soul programming that dominated commercially oriented urban contemporary radio stations during that era. Um, while popular black artists at the time, such as Parliament Funkadelic, James Brown and Curtis Mayfield sang about urban life, black empowerment and Afrofuturism, 
Most artists that were played during Quiet Storm programs avoided any significant involvement with themes of race. So that's kind of what I was trying to say is like it wasn't as um, overtly political as um, music kind of right up until this time had been. Right. It was more songs about relations and, and stuff like that rather than like what's going on, what's going on in the world. Exactly. Know? It's funny to think like, I completely forgot that disco and like disco techs were a thing during that time. And it's funny to think that the contrast, even the contrast between those two, cause like, wow, like disco tech, I'm here to dance. Like I'm going to do some cocaine right? or something. <laughs> and then like at the end of the day, go home <laughs> and relax with some quiet storm, you know? Uh, Did yeah. you ever watch uh, that 70s show? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's like this episode where Jackie and Fez go to like a disco party and they're the only ones that want to go because everyone else like finds disco so unbearable. <laughs> oh, I think I remember which episode you're talking about. That's funny. I think they're supposed to do a 90s show like coming up here soon. Oh, so, that would be amazing. Right. That would. Definitely. Good. Anyway. But, um, so yeah, um, I don't know. It's funny. Whenever I think of disco, I think of that scene from that 70s show where I'm like, <laughs> oh, gosh. But you know what? There's plenty of disco music that I like, so Agreed. sue me. Yeah, sue me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so by 1974, um, uh, an article I read said that Smokey Robinson was adrift. He sort of wasn't um, the prime of music anymore. Um after setting the standard for Motown during the 1960s and being made um, vice president of the label, um, Smokey Robinson split with the Miracles and his first two post-Miracle solo albums um, performed to – oh, had not performed to his expectations. Um, meanwhile, Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye zoomed past him to become the label's and to a degree, African American popular music's torchbearers. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Carrying the torch. Right. I like that. Pass the torch on. Right. Um, Gay's 1971 suite, What's Going On, in particular, Bex Robinson. Here was an album rightfully celebrated for its political message that also managed to sound effortlessly smooth. Even coming out of the tumultuous late 60s, politics never figured in Smokey's music. Concepts, though, were another thing. Robinson set out to make his own What's Going On, but whereas Gay turned his focus so emphatically outward, Robinson looked inward. The result was his 1975 Quiet Storm. Um... Let's see. So I read, if the genres are communicative forces behind, oh, if genres are the communicative forces that bind songs, artists and albums together, then radio formats are especially commercialized top-down breeds, the results of expensive advertisers. Hmm. Sorry, my face disappeared. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> Quiet Storm, um, again, it appropriates R&B and slow, slow jams and recontextualizes them into rotations 
with their peers and predecessors. Oh, yeah, I thought that was interesting because um, I think, at least in my experience, so Sirius Satellite Radio is very um, structured. So the only station I listen to that even um, comes close to this is the alternative indie station I listen to mm-hmm. where they'll play like, um, like, I don't know, Mr. Brightside, that song's probably 20 years old now. And then they'll also play like, uh, I'm trying to think of a newer artist, but I'm so out of touch, but they'll also play like Billie Eilish, for example. Um, but I think that the spectrum of like eras and music, you don't really see that um, in any other format these days other than, um, or you don't see it as emphatically as you do these days, as you do with the quiet storm format. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think about that? I don't know. It, it's honestly, it's reminding me of a conversation that I had with my uncle during the tombstone episode and that like, if you, you record like a single comparatively with a um like a full album like you know i'm a <laughs> i'm a top hits sucker like i'm definitely one to me too listen to just the like mr brightside or whatever like if we're going to talk about alternative like um i don't know listen to a few pearl jam songs here and there and then we yeah. switch it over to something else and I don't know. Um, it seems that, yeah, artists did pick up on this because, like, my uncle was telling me that, like, his producer was telling him, like, yo, record singles, release them, like, not uh, release them by themselves. And because, like, if you released an album, the, like, your single, your top single of the album or whatever, that would be picked up. But the other ones would be just dropped off. Like, they would be dead. And it's funny to think that. That's literally the next point. So, like, an artist might um, only have one ballad on an album, but to Quiet Storm listeners, that might be the only track they hear is that ballad because that's what flows with the genre. Um, So that's funny that you say that. Worlds collide. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because he does country um music like he's a country artist um oh he was, okay he was yeah telling me about that so it's quite interesting oh and and how fascinating because country music is another genre that and um, very much has like ballads mixed in with like twangy bops you know <laughs> sorry i thought i heard somebody calling my name um but yeah, so that's interesting to look at it from the perspective of country music as well. I'd be interested in like um, old country radio. I bet there's something um, with that that sort of parallels with this today, but I'm not as interested in looking into that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so artists and labels, they picked up on this idea that, like, the ballad might be the only song that's heard. Like, you better make that song the best damn song on the album because that's what's going to make people go out and buy it and listen to the rest. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Wow. And to kind of start wrapping up a little bit, I'm going to kind of jump back to Lindsay. Um, decades after the creation of the show, 
Um, Lindsay actually passed away in 1992. He died of AIDS. Um, and I was reading that he... Um, hadn't really come out to a lot of people um, because it was still such a stigma. But um, he he had a few people at the radio station who suspected, and and they um, I think really gave him the care that he needed um, as far as as living his life as authentically as he could in his time. Um, his legacy lives on in Washington, D.C. and beyond. He was um, inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame very recently. And um, The Quiet Storm lives on as well, almost 50 years since it started. And it's now hosted by a guy named John Mons. Um, and that's as of 2021. I'm not, I couldn't find if anyone more recently has taken over, but I got the impression John Mullins is currently the voice of WHUR's Quiet Radio. And Mons said, I don't really feel pressure as far as having to live up to Lindsay, but you know, there's a standard that's been set and you know that you have to keep up with that. Either you need to take it a step higher or at least, you know, keep it where it was or where it is, Mon says. <laughs> That's good. It's good that he recognizes what came before because he's such a... A lot of people don't. In yeah. fact, um, Beth, in her or in the article I read, um, the thesis that's linked Nora Bess's article, um, mm-hmm. they say that a lot of DJ hosts, especially like during this time, were like megalomaniacs, like just narcissists, like you know, like just in it for themselves, the fame, the clout, like um, not really for the passion of the music and i think you know that's something the hippies say all the time do it for the music man um so yeah i think that's a good point but um there have been you know some changes to the quiet storm music but um mon says i think initially it was really melvin finding music that you know he really dug and turned everybody onto it Now we have these 40 years and 50 years of music that we have to choose from. Oh, that's right. That's why I included that, because I was thinking, like, wow, like, during Melvin Lindsay's time, like, I don't want to say whatsoever that he had it easier, but there was so, um, there was less music to pick from, and I thought it was interesting that Mons brought that up, like, oh, like, I have an even bigger task on my hands, having to decide what cuts it you know right yeah it's a lot of music a lot of music um and of course he says the music now is less jazzy than it was in those days and it's newer and i was actually reading just a little bit before we started that jazz music was like looked down upon for a really long time especially before quiet storm radio it was seen as like like cheap dirty music like not something not highbrow it was seen as like a lowbrow art and i'm just like how how (laughs) yeah music in my opinion it i think we even mentioned a little bit on the dixie chicks episode it's like people who 
carry that weight, I guess. This is this is a Beatles reference. <laughs> oh, I gotta carry that weight. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I kind of got off topic of what I was uh, talking about. But um, I don't know. It's interesting to think about the because <laughs> today, today, I believe that. I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch that. Um, <laughs> I kind of went off in like five different directions and what I was gonna okay. talk about, but um, it is right. The yeah, today it is a little less less jazzy. Um, it's a little bit more like EDM ish if you yeah. want to go that way. Lo-fi, like yeah, right, yeah. Hmm. Well, well <laughs> with that being said, um, I think, uh, Shannon, we, do you want to talk about the conspiracy corner a little bit more? Or, um, I don't have a do whole you... lot else to say, but I will just remind y'all that the DJs at Howard University went on strike, and that was how Melvin was able to start his 7 p.m. to 12 a.m. little nightly gig, and I do not know why they went on strike there's a conspiracy there. Yeah. Promise. Some, something rapid. <laughs> I think it honestly, I would assume it would be like some type of like student protest or strike or some, but somebody. Why would they call it a strike? It doesn't add up to me. And why would Lindsay be willing to like step in? I, I don't know. He just like didn't agree with it or something. Yeah. He's like, oh, I gotta like, keep my job. Sorry. Gotta make that middle but class. He wasn't, I don't think he was working there yet, David. I don't think he'd actually started working there. He was Kathy Hughes' babysitter. So that's how she <laughs> oh, knew him. Oh, yeah. You are right. Yeah. The babysitter <laughs> and so I, part. That's interesting. Yeah. I think she just brought him in because like he was on hand. So, which is also pretty freaking amazing that he was able to just i don't know create so much inspiration right where would we have been today that's a good question oh is that gonna be our thinking cap oh yeah yeah (laughs) where would we be today um without i feel like i feel like a lot of even they even say it in the vox video that like drake drake put like a portion of um, some dude off in like Toronto area, they put him yeah. on his track or whatever. And I was just like thinking like the inspiration that like how many, how many less babies would we have in the world? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, from this baby making music and then to, um, like just the inspiration that people pull from, from, that's in this great. in this case, like the you know yeah. the quiet storm format, the R and B jazz, but also in others, like I'm thinking how it spreads into you know country music and Texas you know things. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point and a good question because it's like, what would fill up that space would it be black artists would it be like a different genre or would it just be more country or like what would fill up that space and i feel like it would just be a really sad space without this music you know and that kind of that kind of i don't know that kind of gets into the takeaways that i want to talk about 
is that okay. like you know how you have hair metal in the 80s and shit like that and then in the 90s we grow into um a more grungy-esque um yeah. type and it's weird to think how music flows and curt like inspirations on top of inspirations on top of inspirations Um, it's weird to think about like people ditching those and like going towards a new thing um i don't know it may it it starts to get the mind like going like what if like what if the beatles didn't exist like where would we be today (laughs) without like how much i loathe the beatles like and i don't really much care for them like where will we be today without the that step in the musical genre be it rock or you know an elton john type or it's just it's weird to think about how many different tendrils that that can you know spread out to be i don't know no yeah i agree i think for me though the takeaway like i definitely appreciate how yours is like where would music be but i think even more so it's like you had this dj uh oh. I'm sorry. Should I keep talking? Yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> you had this DJ that um really loved music and loved the art and put the art out there. And would these artists have had their music out there if it weren't for this DJ? And I don't necessarily think that like one person should dictate what's popular. But the fact that it sounds to me like he wasn't just playing what was popular is what's so important about the takeaway here. Because even though, you know, you and I, we might be, you know, billboard top chart toppers, we love that that music scene. But I think at the same time, we understand that scene wouldn't exist, like you just said, if it weren't for everything and everyone that's come before it. All the musical predecessors. Wow. Wow, we talked a lot, a lot today about the... I don't know. Maybe I just want to... I want to go... Today I might just go and and listen to a few, like Anita Baker. um, I know. Like, just listen to that sort of music as I wind down for the day. It's it's getting close to that that sort of time when I'm about to wind down. And, um, I don't know, some Secret Garden by Anita Baker or... I love Sweet Love yes. by Anita Baker. That's another good one. Angel by Anita Baker. Ugh. Maybe I'm just going to go listen to Anita Baker. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, Shannon, do you have anything else before we start to wrap up? Um, I do want to say this idea was David's, and I'm just so glad that we did it, that I explored this. I think, you know, Black History Month, you see, like, so many things over and over again to kind of look into something new like this was really exciting, and I could see us definitely keeping this up in the future, too. So, thanks, David. Oh, no problem. I'm glad I'm glad that we can, we can bring up topics like these and, like, really learn from it for the first time. And I think that yeah. was, like, honestly, I, I don't want to speak for you, but, like, it sounds like that was something in this case uh, for you. So, I'm glad that you could learn something new uh, that I just kind of put the tendril of a thought out there and you kind of took it and ran with it so yeah i feel like this is a preach (laughs) this is like you know how like when you learn something and then suddenly you keep seeing it like pop up in tv shows or like in articles and you're like 
hey, I just learned about that. I feel like that's going to be this with me. I'm going to, like, start seeing, like, Quiet Storm mentioned in TV and, like, suddenly understand. <laughs> <laughs> get get a little bit more. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Well, thank you so much to listening to this week's Into the Zeitgeist episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to show your support for Into the Zeitgeist, consider subscribing to our Patreon, our Facebook, or our Instagram. Um, also consider like, rating, and reviewing. Um, but Shane, before we officially log off, what do you? What are we going to talk about next week? It says Julius Caesar. Caesar. I, I have a feeling that I might have spelt that wrong. <laughs> and it, it looks like I did. Um, yeah, no, we're going to be talking about Julius Caesar. The next episode comes out on uh, the Ides of March, I believe. I believe that's the day. That, and so I thought it was pretty appropriate for us to um, speak about something like this. So, But actually... No, no, it's not the Ides of March. It'll be Ides of March a couple days after the, oh. the episode release. So, uh, bummer, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, Shannon, I got to go listen to more some, some more talk radio. <laughs> you got to go listen to more talk radio. I've got to listen to. I don't even. Know. I I guess I'll go listen to NPR if you're. Oh wait, no, that's what you're. I don't know, David. What am I doing? You're gonna go listen to some more serious I'm... XM and uh what's that what's that one guy? I always forget I'm... his name. He's a very... commercial free radio <laughs> <laughs> Point and laugh at the people who had to listen to commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Who are you trying to think of? Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Um he's very famous. He has a serious XM show. Um, oh God, it's gonna drive oh, me crazy. Not uh, not uh, not Ron Howard. What's that guy's name? Oh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern. Howard Stern. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You just had to say something, and then it kicked me into gear. You got to listen to more Howard Stern. He is apparently really crazy, like Larry David, oh. t- or excuse me, not Larry David, like Larry King. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, Shannon, it was good talking oh. about a lot of music, and I gotta get a lot. I got a lot of music to go listen to now. So right. I'm thinking you. disco this afternoon. <laughs> Oh, I know, changing it up, changing it up. All right, well, I guess we'll talk to y'all next time. Zeitgeist is a bi-weekly podcast recorded in the DFW, Austin, and San Antonio areas in the state of Texas. The podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, David Lonnie Waters. My co-host and researcher for the show is Shannon Boffman. As you know, all of our shows are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. 
The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and for that, we're stoked for your sponsorship. Lone Star Aeronautics, Sharon, and Keegan Gunther.